You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at day3church.com. And for more information, find us on the web at day3church.com. What we're doing these two months in March and April is a series called Before and After. The before part, and that's what we're in right now, is following Jesus on His way to the cross. The after part, which we will hit in April, will be on the other side of the resurrection, and we're going to look at some ways the resurrection impacted the disciples of Jesus. In similar ways, I believe that our lives ought to be impacted uh, by the resurrection of Christ. Uh, What we did when we started this series, we kind of jumped into it with a message called The Ride. Uh, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, the King of Kings riding a donkey into Jerusalem, uh, no less. And one thing that always amazes me about this, and I hope you'll think about it also, as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, He's going there knowing full well what He's about to face. He understands without any doubt He's headed there for a cross, and that just blows me away. It ought to blow you away that he would head toward the direction of going to a cross and dying on a cross for us. Last week, we talked about the reason Jesus came, and of course, him coming and dying on the cross is a primary reason, but as we looked at verses in John 12, and by the way, that's where we are today, if you want to join me in the Bible in just a moment, we looked at verses in John 12, and we found out that Jesus came to be approachable uh, to where we can approach him. He came to be reproducible. He wants to reproduce his life in us. He came to be obedient, and that ought to inspire us to be obedient to our Father, and primarily, he came to be sacrificial. So today we want to pick up in John 12, and we're going to be looking at uh, verse 37 uh, down through verse 50. Uh, If you have your Bible with you, you can join me there. If not, we'll have the words on the screen for you. Uh, And let's see what the Bible has to say here. Uh, Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message into whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he's blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Now, that almost sounds very strange, that uh, we would be told something like that, and we'll deal with that in detail in, in a few moments. Then Christ cried out, When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. When he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. Uh, Good indication. If you want to see what God is like, just look at Jesus. That's what Jesus tells us there. I've come into the world as a light, so that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. Our topic today is this, the rejection, the rejection. Even though Jesus cared enough to leave heaven and come to this earth, 
even though, Jesus cared, even though Jesus cared enough to ride that donkey into Jerusalem, headed toward a cross. We're told in the Bible that he was rejected. He came into his own, and his own received him not, the Bible tells us. We see in this text today that even after he had done all of these miracles, people still rejected him. Now, I want you to bear something in mind as we go through this message. What is being talked about here literally is the nation of Israel saying no to Jesus as their Messiah. Some believed and some did not believe. But before we get all down and negative on the culture of that day, on the Jews of that day for rejecting Jesus, we need to be honest and admit something, guys. People still reject Jesus today. And even people who know Him sometimes reject His rule or His will or His word in their lives a lot of times. What I want us to do today is look at how Jesus was rejected by the Jews and try and discover some similarities as to how people may still reject Him today. Here's our first similarity. Some people reject Jesus in spite of of great evidence some people say no to jesus they reject who he is they reject his claims in spite of all the great tremendous evidence that jesus has given jesus came and did a ton of miracles he did a lot of stuff that pointed to the fact that he was who he claimed to be and yet people still would not believe in him we find out from our text today now if you ever ask yourself this why did Jesus do all these miracles? I mean, what was the purpose? What was the purpose of the miracles that Jesus performed? That's your next uh, blank, the purpose of the miracles. What were they? Well, look at what we're told in, in this passage of Scripture. Even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in Him. Why did He do the miraculous signs? Did Jesus do all this neat stuff just to be popular? Did Jesus perform all these miracles just so people would shout as He rode into Jerusalem on the donkey? Did He do all these miracles just so He could be like a celebrity? Did He do all these miracles, all the neat stuff that Jesus performs just so He would kind of have like a rock star reception by the culture of His day? Did Jesus do all these miracles to be maybe like the, the Chris Angel? And some of you older folks have no idea who He is, all the younger folks I just connected with. But did He do all this neat stuff, all these miracles, just to be like the Chris Angel of the first century? Why in the world did Jesus do all this stuff? You see, there's a ton of miracles that we're told that Jesus did just in John's gospel. He turned water to wine. He, uh, all kinds of miracles. He, raised, he healed a noble man's son. There's a man laying by a pool that's an invalid. He comes by and heals him. He gets up and walks. Jesus walks on water. Matter of fact, he's walking on water in the storm, as we mentioned a couple weeks ago. And the disciples are out there trying to make it through this storm. As soon as Jesus gets on board, he created the first speedboat in history. And they're on the other side of the shore instantly. Jesus does all kinds of neat miracles. He turned the loaves and the fishes and multiplied them and fed all the multitude. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. All kinds of miracles that pointed to the fact that He was who He claimed to be. And guys, to be honest with you, the Bible doesn't even put a dent in everything that Jesus really did. Do you realize that? Look what the Bible says about this. Jesus did many other 
miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which were not recorded in this book. Can you imagine what it would be like to have been a disciple of Jesus? Now, listen, I just told you about a whole lot of neat stuff that he does that's just recorded in John, not to count other parts of the New Testament. Imagine hanging out with Jesus and they're seeing all kinds of stuff that he's doing. You know, guys, look at this, watch this. You know, all kinds of things as they're there with him. Look what else the Bible tells us. Jesus did many other things as well. Notice this. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. Oh, yeah, sure. Listen, that's written under divine inspiration. That's part of the Word of God. And John was inspired to write this down. If we had recorded everything that Jesus ever did, the world couldn't even contain all the books that would be written. Jesus did a lot of miracles. What was the intent of it? Why was Jesus doing all of these miracles? Well, to understand that a little bit better, we need to look at what the, the phrase miraculous signs means. Miraculous signs, the word in the Greek, that's what the New Testament was predominantly written in. The word in the Greek that's translated miraculous signs means this. An indication, especially ceremonially or supernaturally, a sign or token, and it's built off of a root word that means to mark or to indicate. Now, Let's look at the word the Holy Spirit chose to be put in the Bible to explain why Jesus did the miracles, why Jesus was doing these miraculous signs. Jesus did all that neat stuff. He performed all these miracles as an indication of who He was. He did all of those miracles supernaturally to prove He was who He claimed to be. Every miracle that Jesus did was a sign or a token, a mark. It was done to indicate that, in fact, Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is God in the flesh. All the miracles that Jesus did, it was like every time Jesus did a miracle, He was screaming out, Hey, listen, look here. I am God. Look what I just did. That's the reason why he did the miracles. It was to convince people to have faith in him. It was to help them understand and see that Jesus had authority. It was to help them understand that he's not just like some other teacher or some other prophet or just some human being. Jesus did things that only God could do, and he did it for that express reason to where people would understand who he was as a token or a mark to where people could believe in him. Every time Jesus did the wow factor by doing a miracle, it was to prove he was who he claimed to be for this reason so people would believe in him look what the bible says we saw verse 30 a moment ago here's verse 31 over in john 20 but these are written talking about the miracles these are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John, John is saying they're written there for this reason. So you'll believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. That's why Jesus did the miracles. He did it in order that people would believe in Him. Now, what does the word believe mean? Because sometimes people have different concepts about what it really means to believe. When we look at it in the Bible. Well, here's literally what the word in the Greek means. It means to have faith in. 
To have faith in, upon, with respect to a person or a thing. It means to give credit to. It means to entrust, especially to entrust one's spiritual being to Christ is how it's used in the New Testament. It comes from a root word that means persuasion, credence, moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God. Especially it stands for reliance upon Christ for salvation. It's built upon a second root word in the Greek that means to convince, pacify, assent to evidence or authority to rely with inward certainty upon something. That's what the word believe means. In other words, Jesus did all these miracles so we would be convinced He is who He said He is and we would be willing to entrust our lives to Him, to entrust our spiritual well-being to Him, to trust in Him for salvation. That's why Jesus did all of these miracles, to give people confidence that He was who He said He was. And yet the Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us they still would not believe in him the word not means absolutely not they absolutely were refusing even in great evidence of all the miracles the nation of israel was refusing to accept jesus as who he was and regrettably the same thing still going on today regrettably in the evidence in light of great evidence of who jesus is and all that jesus did people still reject him you want to add another miracle to the miracles that he did he went to the cross he was nailed there he died by the way they didn't take his life he bowed his head and gave up the ghost that's a miracle in itself he dismissed his spirit from his body when he died and then three days later he took his life back up and that's a miracle of all miracles for me how about you to give us evidence that He's who He claimed to be. If you're looking for someone to follow in your life and you're looking at all these celebrities or, or you know, sports heroes or rock stars or maybe even some type of religious guru or something like that, can I suggest you use this criteria? Let them die on a cross, give up their own life of their own accord at the moment they want to give it up, be buried, take their life back up on the third day, and then just maybe you ought to follow them. Because here's the deal. The only one that ever did that was Jesus. And Jesus did all of these miracles so people would follow Him. That's the purpose of the miracles. But this rejection of Jesus and even the denial of the miracles was told in advance. So there's also some prophecy attached to these miracles. Isaiah had talked about it in advance. Look what the Bible says. This, talking about the fact that they reject Jesus in spite of all the miracles, this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. Lord, who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm or the strength of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about Him. The rejection of Jesus was foretold by Isaiah. It said all of this happened, the Jews rejecting Jesus, to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. The word fulfill is a Greek word that means to cram a net full. I mean, it's like you've got a net and you've caught some fish in it, but it's not full yet, so you keep cramming it until it's full to the very top. 
See, Isaiah prophesied that it would happen, and when it actually happened, it's like God said, see there, I'm filling my net up to prove to you that what I say is true. It also means to level out a hollow spot. Like if there's a hole in the road and they'll come and level it out. Of course, North Carolina doesn't do that anymore because we're bankrupt along with all the other, you know, states and things like that. But they used to do it. You know, if there's a pothole in the road, they'd level it up, fill it in. That's like there's a, a hole. You know, God said something, there's a hole there, it hasn't happened yet. Isaiah told God to say it. Now it happens through the ministry of Jesus. Now the hole is filled in. And God is saying, look, what I said would happen did happen. It means to furnish what is needed, to satisfy, to finish a task. And the word prophet simply means a foreteller. Isaiah the prophet told in advance that the Jews would reject Jesus. They would ignore the miracles, and the Jews as a nation would say no to Him. John 12, 38 in our text is a direct quote of Isaiah 53, 1. And it says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? The arm of the Lord, the word arm literally means strength. He said, who's believed our message? And the arm of the Lord, the strength of the Lord, who has that been revealed to? He's talking about Jesus. Hey, you want to see the strength of God? Look at Jesus. If you want to see the arm of God reaching down into this world to make a difference in this world and change lives and save people, that's Jesus Christ. He's the arm of God reaching down into this world. And Isaiah is saying, who has believed this? And you see, the Bible goes on to tell us that they could not believe. God blinded their eyes, and God hardened their hearts, or deadened their hearts, so they could not believe. That sounds unfair, doesn't it? I mean, honestly, humanly speaking, doesn't it? Doesn't it kind of sound unfair that God would blind somebody and harden their hearts so they could not believe in Him? Because in our human logic, it sounds unfair. You see, here's the deal. God doesn't have to deal in what we think is fair. God's purpose is to fulfill what His will is. Not to do stuff that we think is fair or that we think is right. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. But before you start thinking, God, that's unfair. I mean, you blinded the Jews and you harden their hearts, you deaden their hearts, so they could not believe, you need to understand the history of what took place here. God, for years and years and years, had been reaching out to the Jews, having given them truth and truth and truth, chance and chance and chance, over and over and over again. And here's the deal. They would not believe. When Jesus came, the same thing happened. Jesus, through His miracles and what He was teaching and the way He lived His life and the things that He did, everything that Jesus was doing was telling them, you need to believe, you need to believe, you need to believe, you need to believe. But they would not believe. And because they would not believe, after they'd been given all these multiple chances to believe, God said, all right, now I'm going to fix it where you cannot believe. You had the chance to believe, you didn't believe, now I'm fixing it where you cannot believe. I'm blinding your eyes, and I'm giving you a hard heart so you cannot believe. I, I want to tell you, that's a scary thought, isn't it? It ought to be especially scary for you if you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ as your Savior because you may have this mindset, well, I've not done it yet, but I will in the future. 
I've just not said yes to Jesus, but I plan on it sometime. And God keeps giving you truth about Jesus and truth about Jesus, and you keep hearing the gospel, and you keep having chances, and yet you keep saying no, and you keep putting it off, and you keep rejecting the message about Jesus, and you keep saying no to Him. What if God were to say, whoop, I'm done. I gave you a chance. Here's the blinders. Here's a hard heart. Now you can't believe. Isn't that a scary thought? Say, oh, you're ma- no, I'm not making that up. God did that. God did that to the Jews, some of the Jews, who were his own chosen people. I mean, it would just be really scary to me today to live in the Bible Belt of America and have had multiple times, time and time and time and time again, to receive Christ and to trust in Him. And you keep saying no because God may make it to where you don't care anymore. You don't feel it anymore. He, you just don't care whether you hear Him or you, or, you, or you respond or anything at all. It's like your heart's dead. It's a scary thought. The word for dead and hardened heart is a Greek word that spoke of a particular type of stone but it means to petrify to render stupid or callous the word heart is the same word we get our word cardiac from but it doesn't mean in the Greek necessarily the same way we think about it as far as an organ in here that's pumping blood it meant the heart but it was used figuratively for the thoughts the feelings the mind So see, God petrified their emotions. God petrified their feelings. God petrified their minds to where they could not believe because they had rejected the message so many times. And he said he did it in order that they wouldn't be converted. That's what the King James says. The NIV says, so they'll not turn. The word means to twist, to turn around. In other words, God hardened their hearts and God blinded them so they would not turn to him and he would heal them now you see I kind of thought that was the point I thought God wanted us to turn around I thought God wanted us to recognize we're going in the wrong direction and turn and come to him that is the point but also the point is with the Jews God had gave them chance after chance after chance Through the ministry of Jesus, God had showed time and time and time and time again that He was God in the flesh, that He was their Messiah, that they should believe upon Him. But they crossed God's deadline, and God said, I am done with you. They had their chance. They rejected Him, and now they're fixed to where they can't even turn toward God. Scary thought. The scary thought. If you don't know Christ as Savior, you've heard the gospel again and again and again and again. What if God just said, all right, you've had your chance. I'm going to fix it where you can't even turn to me at this point. Guys, I don't know about you. It's a scary thought, isn't it? That God actually did that. It was God's desire that they would turn to him. See, Isaiah had the chance to see how big Jesus was, how great Jesus was. That's one of the reasons Isaiah was led by God to prophesy about this, and now we see it pop up in the ministry of Jesus. Back in Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1, here's what happened. In the year King Uzziah died, there was this king that Isaiah had been underneath that he, you know, thought a lot of evidently or whatever, but he was the king in that day. In the year that King Uzziah died, he said this, I saw another king. 
I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and exalted, in the train of His robe filled the temple. What happened there is this. Isaiah gets a chance to see Jesus on the throne. He sees Him and how great He is, and he understands people ought to trust in Him. A little bit later in the chapter, this is what God tells Isaiah. He said, Go and tell this people, Be ever hearing, but never understanding, ever seeing, but never perceiving. They wanted to hear the Word of God, and hear the Word of God, and they were listening to the Word of God, but they never applied it. They were listening, 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 but they were just soaking it in, soaking it in, soaking it in, and never do anything about it. I'm telling you, that's dangerous, guys, because with revelation from God comes an accountability to do something about it. They were wanting to hear, 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 but they weren't understanding. They were all the time wanting to see, see miraculous signs, see signs of God, but they were never, ever really perceiving what God was doing. So God told Isaiah to do this. Make the heart of this people calloused, make their ears dull, close their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. There are about seven or eight times in the Bible that that is referred to. And this is one time that we're seeing today in John's gospel sometimes people reject Jesus in spite of all kinds of evidence in spite of all the miracles in spite of everything that he's done many times people will reject Jesus and here's the dangerous thing in that the Bible tells us seek the Lord seek the Lord while he can be found well I'll wait till later what if he doesn't Touch your heart later. I'll put it off. I'm young. I mean, I want to go out and party and enjoy my life and have fun for a while in my life, and I'll trust in Jesus later. What if He's wanting you to find Him now? What if He's speaking to your heart now and saying, Here I am. You need to seek me while you can find me. Some people reject Jesus in spite of all kinds of of great evidence that he's who he claimed to be. Some people reject Jesus for this reason. Some people reject Jesus because of peer pressure. Because of worrying what someone else thinks, what someone else will say. And they'll reject Jesus or fail to stand for Jesus openly because they're scared of what might happen with their friends or their environment, the people they work with, their family, whatever it is. Some people will reject Jesus because of peer pressure. Look what the Bible said in verse number 42 and 43. Yet at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in Him. Now, the nation as a whole rejected him, but some did believe in Jesus. Some, even who were leaders, believed in Jesus. But because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they'd be put out of the synagogue. For they loved praise from men more than praise from God. There are these leaders there who believed but maybe their faith was a little bit lacking, a little bit lame, a little bit lean. Because even though they had believed in Jesus, the Bible tells us, even though they were convinced they, they had placed faith in Jesus, they believed in Him, they'd seen all the miracles, even though they believed in Him, they wouldn't go public with it. Because of peer pressure, they were worried about what the Pharisees would do. 
this peer pressure was blocking them and they were scared that if they told people they believed in Jesus, they would be put out of the synagogue. In other words, they'd be excommunicated. Now, you know, we don't understand the synagogue culture and everything, so let me try and bring it up to contemporary terms where you understand it a little bit. That's kind of like today saying that if you believe in Jesus and you're real big on grace and stuff like that, that you might be ostracized at church and put out of the church. Now, I know you're thinking, well, that sounds crazy. Because the church is supposed to be about Jesus and the church is supposed to be about grace. Yeah, <laughs> but some of the churches forget that. Some of the churches get so many man-made rules and so much legalism into play that in order for you to be part of their party, part of their club, you have to dress like they dress, walk like they walk, eat what they eat, say the things that they say, carry the exact same Bible that they carry, and everything else. And if you get being too big on grace, then it starts to tear up their rules a little bit. The man-made rules that they've instituted in the church. These people were afraid to say they believed in Jesus and they caved in to peer pressure. And people still do that today. You see, there's a type of peer pressure that causes fear. There's a type of peer pressure that causes fear in people's lives. They were afraid of the Pharisees. They wouldn't confess their faith for fear they'd be put out of their church in that day. For fear they would be put out of the synagogue. Why were they afraid of the Pharisees? Here's what the word Pharisee means. Pharisee literally, the Greek word that's translated here means a separatist. I.e. somebody that is exclusively religious. In other words, somebody that thinks they are better than other people. I am holier than you, holier than thou syndrome. It's built on a root word that means to separate or to disperse. It also meant to specify. And the implication, will you notice this? When you follow the word study out all the way of Pharisee, it means to wound. Now, here's the deal with the Pharisees. Not all, because I'm sure there were probably some good Pharisees. Because the Pharisees would you know, memorize the Bible and they were tithing and they would do all these things. But then there was part of the Pharisees that only did all this stuff so people would think good of them. They did all this stuff so they would feel like they were better than somebody else. They did all this stuff so they kind of had this exclusive religious club. They would separate themselves from the rest of the people. We're better than you. You're not as good as we are. They would disperse people away from them. They would specify a lot of man-made rules that could not be completely backed up by the Bible. And because that was the way they operated, this particular group of Pharisees, that type of mindset in the group of the Pharisees, people were being emotionally and spiritually wounded. Now, you might be thinking, well, that's a neat study about who the Pharisees were and everything else. How does that apply today? I wish to God it didn't apply today. But there are still Pharisees who are alive and well on planet Earth. There are still Pharisees who are alive and well in churches. And they feel like they're better than somebody else. 
in some churches that are very legalistic and have this pharisaical type of mindset, it's like they have set up a little exclusive religious club and before they will really invite you in and make you feel like you're part of that exclusive religious club, you have to cut your hair like they cut their hair, wear clothes that they wear, talk like they talk, act like they act. And if you don't do that, then you're not really completely welcome. They might let you come hang out a little bit at the church, but until you get just like they are, you're a little bit of an outsider. Now, I, I meant to say this a little bit later, but it comes to mind now, so I'm going to say it now, and I want you to understand this, and I hope you'll get it clearly. You do not have to look like me, act like me, talk like me. You don't have to act like Daryl, talk like Daryl, be like Daryl. You don't have to be like any of our deacons, any of our leaders. You don't have to be any certain way for us to welcome you in and you attend day three church. You don't have to jump through those kinds of hoops. The only person I want you to look like is Jesus Christ. Not me, not him, not anyone else here. I want you to look like Jesus. And yet there are tons of churches, guys, and I'm not here just today in this message trying to shoot at churches, but some of you have experienced it. I mean, you can come to a church. Honest, I mean, I'm the pastor, but if I went to some churches dressed like I am today, they probably wouldn't invite me back. Well, he didn't have on a suit. He was carrying an orange Bible. I had never seen an orange Bible. What's up with an orange Bible? I thought they had to be black and red. I had to, you know, weigh enough to use a wheelbarrow to bring him in. See, some people, here's the problem with that. Some people will stand off from Christ because of rules like that, because of attitudes like that. And they don't feel like they can be who they are at church. They don't feel like they can let down a facade. They don't feel like they can be honest and say, I'm hurting, I'm struggling with this, because they're afraid there's going to be a bunch of Pharisees standing around, pointing a finger, and putting them down. Churches will make man-made rules that have nothing to do with the Bible. And they'll do it to the detriment of people to where people are being emotionally and spiritually wounded when exactly the opposite ought to happen in churches. Guys, our churches aren't in the business of wounding people. Our churches are supposed to be in the business of welcoming people and introducing them to Jesus Christ so their lives can be changed. That's what a church is supposed to be about. And yet some people reject Jesus because of peer pressure. They have fear in their life, wondering what people will say, how people will treat them. Now, see, here's the problem with that. Because if you're someone that's trusted in Christ and you've kind of been keeping it quiet because you're afraid what other people around you might say, that's a major problem. Here's the problem with that. Look what Jesus said. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. That's neat, isn't it? Yeah, look at the rest of it. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. In other words, if you've got the mindset that it's okay to be a closet Christian, 
It's okay to you know, believe in Jesus in your heart, but not be telling anyone because you're scared of what other people might say around you. If you think it's okay to be a closet Christian, I've got news for you. It's not okay. Jesus wants you to come out of the closet. Now that terminology is being used for everything except Christianity. We start trying to get Christianity out of the closet and everybody wants to push it back in. Listen, God wants you to stand boldly for Him and tell people about Jesus and tell people you believed in Him and quit worrying about what the crowd around you might think. The most important thing is what will God think? Because based upon that verse, I kind of think we ought to do all we can to tell people we know Jesus. You ought to stand on the rooftop and shout it out. You ought to be on blogging online about Jesus. You ought to be, you know, that, if you've got a, a, a Twitter account and you're out there sending tweets and things like that, a Twitter account, you know what you ought to be doing? You ought to be telling people about Jesus with it. We ought to be doing all we can to tell people about Jesus. But some people reject Him because of peer pressure that causes fear. Here's a real problem with that also. When you look at Revelation 21 and verse 8, there's a group of people that are in hell because they're fearful and cowardly. That ought to kind of say something about us being fearful and cowardly about Jesus. There's also a type of peer pressure that not only causes people to have fear and they'll stand back from Jesus because they're afraid of what other people think, there's also a kind of peer pressure that causes people to reject Jesus, and it's the type of peer pressure that courts fame. Wanting to be famous, wanting to be popular. See, the Bible said there in verse 43, for they love praise from men more than praise from God. That's why these leaders who believed in Jesus but were afraid to say so because they were worried what the Pharisees might do to them, their ulterior motive was also this. They wanted people to think well of them. They wanted people to praise them. They wanted people to look at them and think how great they were. Guys, I, here's a truthful statement. Please, all of you, especially young people, but it needs to apply to our adults too, but please, our young people, get this. The desire to be popular will destroy many lives. Just trying to be popular, trying to be part of the in crowd, willing to shut up about Jesus or anything else, just so you can fit in the in crowd, will destroy many lives. It might destroy your life, and it'll for certain destroy your friends' lives because you're not telling them about Jesus. They loved the praise from men more than the praise from God. But to me, that sounds crazy. I mean, here's why. Look at some of the words that are used there. The word praise, they love the, the praise. The word praise is probably better translated glory. They would prefer to get glory from men than glory from God. I mean, that just sounds completely crazy. Men means man-faced human being. In other words, it's somebody just like you and me. The word God in the Greek means the supreme divinity or deity. So put this in a balance. Weigh it out in a scale for a moment. I can have the approval of God or the approval of men. I can have praise from God or praise from men. I can have glory, honor put my way from God or my motive can be to get glory and honor from men. 
Now, guys, here's the deal. If I'm going to get glory and honor from somebody, I don't know I want it from somebody that's just like me. I don't know I want it from people like you. I would like to get it from God. And it sounds like to me that ought to be an easy choice. You know, whether or not we want praise from men or praise from God, is our motive to please men or to please God? And some people cave in to peer pressure and reject Jesus because they are more interested in what people think about them in being popular and having the, the applause of the world than they are having the applause of God. There's a Christian song that came out years and years ago, and I'll you know, kind of date myself with it. No, it's not Amazing Grace. But uh, a song years ago called Audience of One. I think that says a lot about our mindset. An audience of one is Jesus Christ. An audience of one that we ought to be performing for. I mean, think about those two choices. I, all right, I'm 54 years old, okay? Let's say from now until the time I die, my mother just turned uh, 91 this past Wednesday. Uh, I don't think I'll ever make it that far unless, you know, I've got enough of her genes in me to get me there. I don't know. So if I live from now to be 100, I've already lived half of my life. Let's say for the rest of my life, from today until the day I die, I could just have all the applause of the world and everything else and be really popular with everybody and, you know, and just the world give me all kinds of glory. But you see, that's a limited time. And then there comes something called death, and then there comes something called the judgment. Or, on the other side of it, I might not be that popular with people, and if I go around telling them about Jesus, I probably won't be because I make them feel guilty and things like that. Uh, you know, I, I can live a life that honors God. Might not be that popular with people, but I can have all eternity to praise God and to get rewards from having served Him. I don't know. Which one do you want? Huh? Which choice would you make? Some people reject Jesus because of peer pressure that causes fear in their lives. Some people reject Jesus because they want to court fame. They're looking after the things that the world can provide them. And they've got the wrong motives. Look at what Matthew chapter 6 tells us. I'm not going to read all, you know, all the verses. I'm just going to point out to you the highlights where you get the point. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, When you give to the needy, in verse 2. In, in verse 5, He said, When you pray. In verse 16, He said, When you fast. In other words, all of these things are spiritual type things. Okay? When, when you're giving, when, when you're praying, when you're fasting. Then Jesus said, at the end of each one of those, He said, If you do those things to be honored by men, you've received your full reward. If you do what you do, even if it's church stuff, guys, I mean, if you come here and work as a greeter in our parking lot or at our doors or on a praise team or serve as a deacon or a pastor or anything else at church, if your motive is to receive the praise of men, you've got all the reward you'll ever get. I don't know. I, kind of like, I think I'd like some on the other side. Instead of getting all my rewards here. And yet, tragically, the motive of a lot of people as they serve in church is to be seen so somebody will think good of them. That is a terrible motive. The only motive I ought to have in serving in church is so people will see Jesus. And as Daryl prayed early in the service, we will make 
Jesus famous. Not about you and I chasing fame. It's not about you and I getting the accolades of the world. It's about you and I trying to bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ, to fully embrace Jesus, to tell other people you believe in Him instead of letting peer pressure keep you from telling other people that you have a relationship with Christ. You need to boldly stand and make Him famous instead of worrying about making yourself famous. Because if that's your goal, you've got all the reward you'll ever get. Some people reject Jesus in spite of all the great evidence, the miracles and everything else. Some people reject Jesus because of peer pressure. Look at what Jesus said in John chapter 5. How can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? Read that. Man, that's, we, I understand. Hey, today's not a hallelujah Sunday, feel good Sunday. I understand that. But this is serious stuff that we need to recognize and wake up and think about. Jesus said, how can you believe? How can you even have faith if your goal is to accept the praise from one another and you're not making any effort to receive the praise from the one that matters, the one God? Some people reject Jesus because of peer pressure there's a group of leaders that said some of them had believed but they wouldn't say that they believed publicly because they were afraid of the Pharisees thank God a couple of them got it right later on if you read the end of the story there's a guy by the name of Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night to start with because he was scared of the Pharisees but he wanted to talk to Jesus you know what he does at the end of the story he walks out boldly he and Joseph of Arimathea walk out boldly to take care of the body of Jesus Christ. They got it right. Our topic today is rejection. Jesus came because He loved this world. Jesus came to die on the cross for this world. Jesus came and did all these miracles and everything, and yet they rejected Him. They denied all the great evidence. Many rejected Him because of peer pressure. And because of those two things, the last thing I want us to look at before we close is this. All people need to know the rejection of Jesus equals the rejection of God. Some people reject Him because they deny all the evidence. Some people reject Him because of peer pressure. But you need to understand this. When you reject Jesus Christ, you are not just rejecting some good teacher, some rabbi, some human being. When you reject Jesus Christ, it is equal to, the same as, the rejection of God. Look at these verses. What happens... When someone believes in Jesus. You see, here's the deal. It's not like you get to choose a different way. That's why we need to ask ourselves right now, what happens when someone believes in Jesus? 
Some people approach it like this. Well, I've not said no yet, but you know, I'm kind of holding out for different options. Some people look at going to heaven like this, like it's some kind of menu, and you can pull the menu out and choose which one you want. Some people look at going to heaven and being forgiven of their sins like it's a buffet bar, and you can go and pick whatever item you want. Here's the deal. It might be like a menu, it might be like a buffet bar, but the only thing that's being served is Jesus. Because He's the only way to heaven. He's the only way you can be forgiven of your sins. He's the only chance and opportunity that you have. So let's talk about two things. What happens when someone believes in Jesus? And then I'm going to talk about what happens when someone rejects Jesus. Here's what happens when someone believes in Jesus. Then Jesus cried out. He's kind of passionate about this. He's yelling it out. When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only, but look what happens. But in the one who sent me. The word sent in the Greek means to dispatch. There was a time in history that had always been planned that Jesus was to come as that baby born in a manger, and God the Father dispatched Jesus on a mission into this world. There's a time that had always been planned in history when Jesus would go to the cross and shed His blood for our sins. And there came that day that God the Father dispatched God the Son, Jesus, to go to the cross and die for our sins. And when we believe in Jesus, we're not just believing in Him, but we are believing in the One that sent Him. We are believing in God. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we are having faith in God. Look what else it says there. When He looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. If you ever thought to yourself, I would like to see what God is like, I've got news for you. You can see it. All you have to do is pick this up and read about Jesus. And as you pick this up and read about Jesus, you know what happens? You see what God's like. Because the Bible says, Jesus said himself, if you look at me, you see the one that sent me. You see God. And Jesus said, I have come for this reason, to be a light in this world. Jesus came to be a light, and a light does a lot of things. A light exposes filth. If you've got a dirty room and you turn a light on, all of a sudden you can see all the dust and the crevices and everything like that. So Jesus comes as a light that exposes how filthy we are, how sinful we are, how much we need God's forgiveness, how much we need God's grace. But He also comes as a light to show us the way to the Father, to show us the way that we can go to heaven. Jesus came as a light so we don't have to stay in the darkness. So what happens when someone believes in Jesus? Believing in Jesus means you have faith in God or a relationship with God. You are following a light that takes you to heaven. That's what happens when you believe in Jesus. That's what Jesus more or less said in those verses. That's what happens when you have faith in Him. But what happens when somebody rejects Jesus? The Bible says this in verse 47 through 50. As for the person who hears my words but does not keep them. I do not judge him, for I do not come, I did not come to judge the world, but to save it. That's why Jesus came the first time. But Jesus goes on, and he says, when someone does not believe my words, when they are rejecting me, Jesus said, there is a judge for the one who rejects me, and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord, but the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that His command leads to eternal life. 
So whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. What happens when somebody rejects Jesus? In those verses, Jesus said, when someone does not receive His words, when someone rejects Him. The one that rejects Jesus does this, and here's what the word means. It means to set aside, to disesteem, or to fail to give esteem, proper esteem to Jesus, to neutralize who Jesus is, and even to violate Jesus. The one who rejects. If someone rejects Jesus, here's what they're doing. They're saying, Jesus, I just don't think you're significant enough. I am setting you aside. Jesus, I don't think you're the one I really need to trust in and follow, so I'm not going to give you any esteem. I'm just going to neutralize who you are, and by doing so, we violate Jesus because He cared so much for us, He went to the cross to die for our sins. That's what someone is doing when they reject Jesus, when they set Jesus aside. So what happens to somebody that does that? The Bible says they are judged. If someone rejects Jesus, they are judged judged did you notice what the criterion was for the judgment that falls look at it again in verse 47 jesus said this someone hears my words as a person who hears my words but does not keep them he said i don't judge him but he goes on and says they will be judged in other words if someone hears the words of jesus and does not accept the words of Jesus, they do not believe the words of Jesus, that's criterion for being judged. That's a reason why they will be judged, because they have rejected the words of Jesus. Now, what's the judge? There are really two judges here. The first judge is God's Word. God's Word. Because Jesus said this, there is a judge. Jesus said, I'm not going to judge you right now, but He says there is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Now, before I get to the main point, I want you to see something else in that verse. There's a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. Today, you may be here and thinking to yourself, all right, I've never said yes to Jesus, but I've not really rejected him. Well, that all depends. <laughs> Have you ever heard the gospel? Have you ever heard the words that Jesus spoke? Have you ever heard what the Bible says about Jesus? Because if you've heard all those things and you still say no to Jesus, you want to know what you've done? Up to now, here's what you've done. You have rejected Jesus. Oh, no, I'm not rejecting Him. I've just not said yes. Listen, if you've heard the Word of God, if you have heard the Gospel, and you've not responded to it, the Bible says you've rejected Jesus. But the main point I want you to get is this. God's Word will judge people who heard Jesus' words at the last day. Jesus said, The very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. I've given you a lot of thoughts today that I said are scary thoughts. Here's one. If you've rejected Christ and you've not trusted in Christ yet, and you die without Jesus in a day of judgment, every word you have ever heard about Jesus will be your judge. Every sermon you've ever heard, every time the gospel's being presented to you, 
Every time you've read the Bible and you have read the Word of God, Jesus said in the day of judgment, that will be what condemns you. Because you said no to it, and God is going to take it and said, but I told you, and you read it, and you heard it, and yet you said no. God's Word will condemn us. Why does that happen? Here's why God's Word points to who Jesus is. Look what the Bible says in John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's talking about Jesus, and He was with God in the beginning. In verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and made His dwell among us. We've seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible tells us about Jesus. The Word of God tells us about Jesus. In fact, Jesus Christ is the living Word of God. And if you reject the Word of God, you have, in effect, rejected Jesus. God's Word. With revelation, guys... With revelation from God comes great accountability. I said this earlier. But if I had to go to hell, I'd hate to go to hell from the Bible Belt in America. Because, you see, here's the deal. You've heard it, and you've read it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it, and you've heard it. And if you reject it, you're going to have all that stand against you as your judge one day before God. What's the second judge? The second judge that we can find in this passage of Scripture is simply God Himself. And here's why. You see, Jesus said, I didn't speak of my own accord. Jesus said, I'm not making this up. But the Father who sent me commanded me to say what to say and even how to say it. I know that His command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. So if you reject Jesus Christ, you're going to have two judges. You're going to have God's Word, and since it is God's Word, God Himself will be your judge because Jesus said, what I spoke was exactly what the Father told me to say. I... We live in a society today, guys, that's too frivolous about the Word of God. Jesus says this in John chapter 5 and verse 24. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who, has, and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not condemn me. He has crossed over from death to life. If you reject the Word of God, you are rejecting the very thing that takes you to eternal life. And if you reject Jesus, this Bible and God Himself will be your judge one day out in history, out in judgment. What we're talking about is before and after before and after Jesus is on the way to the cross next month we're going to talk about things that happen after the cross today we've talked about the rejection the nation of Israel as a whole rejected Jesus as their Messiah and people still today reject Jesus so maybe the big question today is this do you know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior 
Is there any doubt in your mind that you have really believed in Him? You might be saying, yeah, I, I, I have. I, I know Him fully. I, I have complete faith in Him. Have you been telling people about it or have you been keeping it a secret? Have you been scared what your friends might say? Have you been afraid what someone at work might say? Or someone at school or whatever the case is? Or are you scared of some Pharisees? You're afraid how they might respond to you? You're too afraid to really be big on Jesus and big on grace? Guys, we're not saved by obeying a bunch of man-made rules. We're saved because of the amazing grace of God and Jesus shedding His blood on the cross. And that's not something for us to be quiet about. So during this time that we're going to call an invitation in just a moment, maybe you as a Christian who knows Jesus, but you've been keeping it bottled up, you've been keeping it quiet, you've been kind of being like a closet Christian, you need to come tell God, God, kick me out of the closet. God, I'm sorry that I've kept it quiet. God, I'm sorry I've worried what people would think about me or around me if I start telling people that I believe in you. You need to ask God to kick you out of the closet. If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Savior, and you have this mindset, well, I will one day. I'm going to take care of my party and my fun and everything else right now, but one day I'll make it right. One day I'll believe in Him. What if He never gives you that one day? And right now He's trying to give you that one day. What if you keep putting it off and putting it off and saying, no, 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 later, 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 until He does with you what He did with the Jews? And He blinds your eyes. And He makes your heart cold and dead to where you don't even want to hear, don't even care anymore. I'm just telling you, it's not anything to play with. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, and He's telling you you need to trust in Him today, you need to trust in Him today because there's no guarantee of how many times He'll deal with you. You might be someone here that's already trusted in Christ, but you've never been baptized. Easter Sunday, we're going to have a baptismal pool right here, Easter Sunday. And if you've never followed through with baptism, you see, here's the deal with that. Jesus, who you say is your Lord, commands you to be baptized. And if you say no, it's like you're telling your Lord, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. So if you've never been baptized, you need to take care of that. So maybe let us know today, either by coming and talking to Daryl and myself or indicating on the back of the card that Easter Sunday you want to be baptized. You've already trusted Christ as your Savior. For some of you, maybe you need to make a different kind of commitment today. Maybe God is calling you to be a member at Day 3 Church and serve Him here. And, you know, I, I know, you know, there's a lot of discussion and debate, well, you know, why have membership and things like that. I, I think it just kind of shows a degree of commitment and, you know, kind of lets us know who we, you know, hopefully can, can depend upon more. And if God is leading you in that direction to become a member of our church, we're having a membership class next Saturday. But you know what? You can come let us know today, hey, God has told me I need to hook up here in day three and I need to serve Him here in some way. However God speak into your heart, you just need to be willing to respond. I guess I could put it like this. We need to quit being wimpy about Jesus. Jesus was not a wimp. He went to the cross. He suffered. He died. He bled publicly 
all the humiliation and everything else. He didn't wimp out on us, so we need to quit wimping out on Jesus. Not worrying what anyone thinks, what anyone says. I could kind of boil down a lot of what I said today as we think about your next step before the band comes to play with this. Do you know Jesus? Good question. Do you know Jesus as your personal Savior? And if you do, do others know that you know Jesus? Let's pray. You have been listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.